John chapter 20, verse 24 through 28. Could you just leave yourself parked there? We're going to go to the book of Luke a little bit before that. You, you can follow along with me on the outline that you should have received as you were entering into the church this morning. And so I just want to say this. I'm thankful to you that you have taken an hour of your time to celebrate the greatest news in all of human history. That the stone is rolled away. That the tomb is empty. And our Savior Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Oh, come on now. The cemetery does better than that. Come on. If that's, if that's your worship for the risen Savior, I want to I know how you live. You living like Jesus? Today we celebrate the resurrection. The resurrection of our king. And we're wrapping up at the same time a four-part message series. And next week I'm going to start a brand new series. It's called The Bible Doesn't Say That. Some of you guys have been swindled into believing some things that the Bible never truly says. So we're going to learn about the most common misconceptions about God's word beginning next week. But today I want to wrap up the message series called The Counselor. And if you've been with us for previous week, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at different questions that Jesus asked his disciples. And he asked them, why are you so afraid? He asked them, do you believe I can do this? And last week we looked at the question that he asked. He said, do you want to be well? And today we're going to look at a very important question that I believe is one of the most important topics in faith communities and also the one of the most least talked about subjects. We're going to talk about spiritual doubts. When Jesus asked this pivotal question, he asked, why do doubts rise in your mind? Now the good news is for some of you, you would say, I have no problem with doubts at all. In fact, I know people who will say things like, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And if that's you, more power to you. But for many people, it's just not that simple. It's just not that clean. And I know a lot of people who would say, I really want to believe, but I'm a little bit more naturally skeptical. I'm analytical, and I want to believe, but I need some questions answered first. So I need to see some things before I can believe. And I'll tell you, honestly, I'm more like that. I'm more naturally skeptical, which may be difficult for you to believe since I'm a pastor. But every time I see something a little, mm, I become very, very skeptical. I believe it's my spiritual gift. And I remember one week as a kid, my pastor was talking and and everybody in church is nodding and listening and and giving an amen. And and I remember that in that moment, this wave of doubt began to flash across my mind. I thought, what if this isn't true? What if we're just believing something and this is just a crutch? What if we've just been brainwashed or all we're just doing This is to make ourselves feel better. What if this whole God thing isn't even true? And I wanted to believe, you see, in fact, still for my whole life, when I look at the world, when I look at the glory of God's creation, the fact that we could reproduce and eat, the fact that water sustains the world, it's, I think that there was probably somebody that was smarter than me that made all of that. But suddenly I had this real doubt as a kid that went through my mind, is all this Christianity stuff true? 
And here I am years later as a pastor, and I'll tell you right now, doubts come in all different shapes and sizes. There are people who obviously doubt the existence of God, or even more than doubt. There's people that actually literally believe with all their hearts that there's no way that God can exist, and that anyone who believes in God is just foolish. There are other people who will give God the benefit of the doubt and will say, yeah, you know, there's probably some higher power out there, but I doubt his involvement in human life. Or I doubt that he would hear my prayers. I've prayed about a lot and he didn't do anything. So obviously he's really not paying attention or or maybe he doesn't have the ability or, or whatever. Some people would doubt that God could actually love them. Some people would say, if there is a God, after all I've done, God couldn't love me or God couldn't forgive me. I know people who would say, I wanted to believe in God and then I met some Christians. And they were a little screwy and hypocritical. How can I believe in God when his followers are so messed up? See, doubt comes in all different shapes and sizes. Now, for those of you who don't, uh, 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 who don't uh, uh, regularly attend a church service, I'm going to let you in on some church people news. Church people can be mean to other church people. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's true. And there's almost this implied belief in the church world, and sometimes it's even more than implied, that, hey, if you have spiritual doubts, you're probably not really in our club. If you ever have doubts, that means you don't have faith. And if you have doubts, you're probably not really saved. And if you have doubts, maybe you're not really following Jesus. So what I want to do today is I actually want to take the opposite approach from that and say that unless you push through some honest doubts in your life, you may never experience the depth of faith that you could. In fact, many people would say, well, doubt is the end of real faith. But I'm going to argue this morning that for many people, doubt is the beginning of real, sincere, and grounded faith. And to do it, we're going to look at a guy who was branded a doubter. His name is Doubting Thomas. There are actually only 12 verses in the Bible that talk about Thomas. And in 12 lousy, stinking verses, he's branded throughout history as a doubter. And what I love about Thomas, though, and as we're going to see, is his life shows us that who he becomes is evidence that even the biggest doubters can one day have the strongest faith. So let's look at him. And before that, I want to give you the context. And we're going to Luke 24, verse 36. And that'll show up on the screen. Luke 24, verse 36. Just at Jesus has, Jesus has just risen from the dead. And he appeared to two guys on the road to this place called Emmaus. And so we pick up the story right after that. Luke's gospel, Luke 24. We'll start in verse 36. And here's what it says. While they, the disciples... While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And my Catholic friend said, and also with you. Yeah. <laughs> then the Bible says this, verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And let me tell you something. You could be all holy, holy and say, oh, you know, I would recognize that that was Jesus. It's Jesus, obviously. I mean, can't you tell it's Jesus? I mean, uh, let me just give you some clue. Don't forget this. Many of them had just seen a stone cold dead body. They had seen a mutilated dead body taken down from the cross, buried in a tomb, right? So here's what's going on through the disciples' minds. Jesus was dead. 
Now we see him. Oh my gosh, it must be a ghost. So Jesus said to them, and here's the big question. He asked them, why are you troubled? And you can almost hear the compassion in his voice. Why do doubts rise in your mind? Hey guys, did you guys forget? Did you forget me opening blind eyes? Guys, did you forget me healing deaf ears? Guys, did you forget I raised people from the dead and I promised that I would give my life up and three days later I would take it back? Did you forget, guys, that this was all part of the plan? I told you this would happen, boys. Why is doubt rising in your mind? He says, look, 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 look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself touch and see. Now, now what's interesting, and you may not notice this, but guess who wasn't at that meeting? Take a guess. Thomas. Thomas was not there. How do we know? Because John's gospel tells us. So if you would go with me to that first Bible uh, verse that I gave you. John chapter 20, verse 24. Did you go there? John 20, 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. What do we see? Thomas missed church. You you just see it right there. He, He missed church. Do you know you miss a lot when you miss church? What did he miss? He missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the proof of Jesus. He missed the peace be with you of Jesus. You miss a lot when you miss church. And here's what the other disciples told him. They said, hey, Thomas, we've seen the risen Lord. We were there, but you missed church. And he said to them, and I love his honesty here in this moment. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, And unless I put my finger where the nails were, and unless I put my hand into his side, what does Thomas say? He says, I I can't believe. I I want to, but unless I get to do this stuff, then I can't. It may be clean and simple for the rest of you apostles, but it isn't for me. It's so important. I want more than secondhand testimony. I want more than secondhand faith. I want firsthand experience with the risen Lord. See, that's one of the biggest problems in American Christianity today. So many people simply believe because their parents believe. They just kind of believe because other people believe. I mean, we're just kind of Christians because after all, we're not something else. So we just kind of believe. And then one day something happens and it shakes what little bit of faith you had. And one day you wake up and you ask yourself, do I really believe this? Or is this just my parents' faith? Is Jesus really the only way to God? I mean, this is a big world. There's a lot of different religions in it. Is Jesus really the only way? There's lots of other things that I can believe in. Can I really believe that narrow of a claim? I mean, does does God even exist? And if Jesus did exist, did he really rise up from the dead? Don't miss the claims of the disciples, though. 
They claim that God loved us so much that he didn't stay in heaven, that he became one of us in the person of his son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin. Therefore, he did not inherit the sin nature of human being, but the divine nature of his heavenly father. Therefore, he could live without sin. And on the cross, the Bible says he became sin for us and died the perfect sacrifice in our place. But they claim something. They claim that he didn't stay dead. Not only do they claim it, but other eyewitnesses claim it. The Bible says that over 500 people were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They saw Jesus after his resurrection. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away and he was not in there. They claim that this man that they had followed had risen from the dead. And if that is true, then it demands a response. And to me, the only reasonable response for a savior who died for me is to live for him. Thomas said, this is important to me. I want to know, is this true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. Oh, you can't have faith if you have doubts. Listen to me. You can't have real faith unless you press through those sincere doubts. Doubts are not the end of real faith. For some people, doubt is the beginning of a solidified, rock-solid faith that will carry you on to glorify God in everything that you do. I want to believe, Lord, but I just need a little bit more. Some of you, you, you've got to want to believe, perhaps, but you just need to do a little bit more. And that's exactly what Jesus did for Thomas. We read on. The story says, verse 26, says, a week later... The disciples were in the house again. And this time Thomas was in church. And he says, and Thomas was there with them. Now don't miss this. There's no real theological meaning to this at all. And this is not going to really change your life. But this shows just how powerful God is. And every now and then you have to appreciate the power of the Lord Jesus. The story says in verse 26, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, the part I wanted you to see is this. The doors were locked. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the stone couldn't keep him in the tomb and a locked door couldn't keep him out of a room. Why? Because he's Jesus. They didn't let him in. I don't know, maybe he came through the walls and, and he walked right through the walls. And let me tell you, that is impressive to me. Like healing blind eyes. Yeah, that's really cool. But this is some Star Trek, Star Wars stuff. Right, just walking through a wall. Then after that, he says, peace. And the next verse, verse 27, he says, then Jesus said to Thomas, now, now I want you to really peer into this. I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus didn't talk to any of the other disciples. They're all there, but Jesus cares about the one who wants to believe. He literally ignores the rest of them. He goes straight to Thomas and he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hand reach out your hand put it in my side and then what is he saying you can feel the love in his heart he says stop doubting and believe and I love this Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed to believe notice what he didn't do and this is what we have a tendency to do in our families in our homes in our churches sometimes this is what we have a tendency notice what Jesus didn't do Jesus didn't say now Thomas sit in the room You're on timeout. You have no faith and you can't be my disciple anymore. Now he gave him what he needed to believe. Stop doubting and believe, he said. 
And I believe that somehow on this Easter Sunday that the presence of God for some of you is going to give you what you need to believe. Just like Jesus did for me, a doubter, a skeptic, one who wanted to believe. And in verse 28, this is what Thomas said to Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. It became personal. It wasn't second generation faith. It wasn't secondhand faith. It wasn't a testimony of what had happened. It was first generation faith. He wasn't just believing in Jesus. He was believing Jesus. And there's a difference between believing in and believing. The Bible says even the demons believe and they shudder. But he believed him and it became personal. And that's what happened to me. And that's what I'm crazy enough to believe will happen to many of you on this Easter weekend. That somehow, something, someone bigger than me is going to get into your heart. And you're going to stop doubting and believe. And you want to talk about something that really builds my faith. When I think about the eyewitnesses to Jesus and who they were, their stories. Talk about building your faith. When I think about Peter. Who said, Jesus, I'm always going to be there for you. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, before the death of Jesus, three different occasions. I don't know him. I never heard of him. Who are you talking about? What's his name? I don't know who you're talking about. He denied and failed Jesus. Then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to him and says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's like, I'm, I'm trying Yes, I do, Lord. And then he says to him, well, feed my sheep. He does this three times. Same amount of times that he denies Jesus. And Jesus forgives him. And Peter is so transformed that he preaches on the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost. Which, by the way, is 40 days from now. From today is the day of Pentecost. And he preaches one of the most powerful messages in the history of the world. And 3,000 people are born anew into the kingdom of God. And Peter becomes the rock that Jesus had predicted. And then when others come to Peter, towards the end of Peter's life, and say, Peter, unless you deny your faith, we will take your life. Peter says, I'll never again deny my Lord and my Savior. And they said to him, then we'll crucify you just as your Savior died. But tradition tells us and history tells us that Peter said and responded back, I'm unworthy to die as my Savior did. So they crucified Peter upside down. The same Jesus that Peter denied was the same Jesus that Peter was now willing to die for. I think about James, the brother of Jesus. Now ask yourself this question. Now, I'm approaching this from the side of a skeptic or an academic. Ask yourself this question, seriously. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? Now, I love my brothers, but they're definitely not the son of God. I could tell you that. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Now you're all thinking about your crazy, broken families. <laughs> years later when the enemies of jesus came to jesus's brother and said renounce your faith or, or we'll kill you he said i'm not gonna do it so they took him to the pinnacle of the temple about a hundred foot drop and they pushed him off but he didn't die there they went they surrounded him they ambushed him and they asked him a second time renounce your faith 
And he looked up to heaven just as Jesus did, history tells us. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And they beat him to death with a club. The half-brother of Jesus, eyewitness, willing to die. That builds my faith. I think about the Apostle Paul who hated Christians. For some of you, you may hate Christians. You don't hate them as much as he did. He killed them. And then he, in a vision, meets the risen Jesus and is so transformed that those that he hated, he now becomes the leader of. And he preaches ferociously. And he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then when they beat him and they would leave him for dead time and time again, finally they got to him. They tortured him. They brought him to Rome. And they said to him in Rome, renounce your faith. And he said, I will never do so. And they beheaded the one who hated Christ, who now was willing to die for Jesus. That builds my faith. Then take Thomas, who's unfairly branded as a doubter, because you see, Thomas was actually a great person of faith. You see, doubt is not the end of real faith. For people, for many, it's only the beginning. Once Thomas got what he needed, he actually traveled further than all of the rest of the apostles and disciples. He went all the way to India to preach the gospel because he believed that they needed a relationship with Jesus, the same one that had transformed him. And when they met him early in a cave one morning, they said to him, renounce your faith. And he said, I would never renounce my Lord and my God. And they took and they impaled him and drove a spear through his body. The Jesus that Thomas doubted was the Jesus that Thomas was willing to die for. Thomas then believed in Jesus enough to die for him. I would ask you this. Do you believe in Jesus enough to live for him? Because this builds my faith. And every now and then when I think about these things, my faith gets louder and louder. And sometimes my faith is talking so loud to me that I can't even hear what doubt has to say. You see, my faith isn't always perfect. I have doubts just like other people. But when I press into God, he reveals himself to me in a way that moves through my doubts to faith that believes that the tomb is empty and that he has risen. And with billions of other people on every continent on planet earth today, we gather to say and to proclaim that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe the tomb is empty. We believe that he is risen. Some of you walked in today with some doubts. And I'm going to tell you that that's a great place to start. Because faith is worthy of asking the real questions. Doubt is not the end of real faith. For many people, it is the beginning. And I believe that at this moment, there are those of you that because of the presence of God will stop doubting. And you will believe and you will give your heart to the Lord Jesus. I want to pray for you though. I want to pray first for those of you who are followers of Christ. You who are disciples, you who believe in Jesus, you who your 
following him. And for those who are getting baptized, now is the time for you to prepare. I believe and I still have doubts. Different times, different shapes, different sizes of doubts. For those of you who would say, I want my faith to grow. I would say to you today, I don't care where you are in your faith journey. Those of you who want even more stronger and solid rock faith in God, I want to take a moment to pray for you. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much for committed followers who want to please you in all they do. God, I thank you that even without faith, it is impossible to please you. And you give us all a measure of faith. And God, we thank you that when you're in church, there's a lot of good that goes on. That faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as we've heard your word today, God, I pray that faith would grow. God, I pray that there would be faith that you're all powerful, that we would believe that all things are possible with you, God. That we have faith in your goodness and your involvement in our lives. That you're working in all things to bring about good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, I pray that we would have faith in the supernatural, in miracles, bodies being healed from diseases and as a matter of fact right now we pray for those who are sick in this church family that they would be touched touched by the hand of the Lord we believe that relationships can be healed from bitterness and resentment God I pray for even financial miracles for those who need a touch from you God that you would provide for them supernaturally that our faith would grow and God our faith would not just be in what you do for us but our faith would be in what you call us to do for you. And you would use us to glorify your name, to make a difference on this earth. Increase our faith, oh God. As you keep praying, there are some of you, you've got some doubts. You've doubted, is God real? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Could God really love me? Could could he forgive me if, if he even exists? For those of you, something's happening right now. Something happening that's drawing you to believe. And let me tell you what that is. That's the supernatural presence and the love of God. You see, God loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. Because he loves you. Love is just not what he does. It's who he is. He is love. And I believe with all my heart that he loves you so much that he became like you in the person of his son, Jesus, who was without sin and died and rose again. And because eyewitnesses believed it enough to die for him, and even non-Christian historians document their death, and because of the work of Christ and believers all over the world, and because my firsthand knowledge of his grace how he can change a person full of bitterness and resentment into a person full of love and tenderness I believe that he can change you I believe that he can forgive you I believe that he is Lord surrender your life to him today there are those of you who would say yes Pastor Tom I'm ready I need him I need the grace of the Lord Jesus you may say I don't know everything listen you don't need to know everything to believe something you can start with this prayer for those of you who would say that you would trust the Lord Jesus for forgiveness pray with me Heavenly Father forgive me 
of all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me. And he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, follow you, and live for you. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.